Father's Day to you. Um, thank you for being here at the well this morning. Um, and, uh, and so over the last couple of weeks here at the well, we've started going through the book of Acts, and we're going to spend just a little bit of time this summer um, talking through the book of Acts, and we'll be continuing to do that this morning. Um, by the way, um, if you're visiting here or new here, my name's Reggie, um, one of the pastors here at the well. Our lead pastor, Jeremy, and his wife, Melody, uh, just had twins a couple of weeks ago, and so they've been taking a couple of weeks off uh, to kind of adjust to life with, with two kids they had already, plus these two new twins. And uh, actually, this week, they're traveling, and they're in California for an Acts 29 uh, pastor's meeting. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but um, a couple months back, there's been some big changes in Acts 29 network, and so Jeremy and Melody have flown out this week with the two twins, who aren't yet probably a month old. And uh, so they're going to have an adventurous flight today and an adventurous week out in California. So you guys be sure to be praying for them um, as they're away. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts 1.8. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like I said, we've begun moving through Acts just for a couple of weeks here over the summer. And two weeks ago, we looked at the lead up to Acts um, 1.8. And talked about some of the interaction that Jesus had with his disciples immediately before we get to the commission that he gives them in, in, in Acts 1-8. And so last week we started in Acts 1-8. Ben Ritchie, who is our summer intern, and uh, he's away this week at the beach, lucky him, um, started diving into Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and talked about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as it relates to the Holy Spirit empowering believers for ministry, which is where Acts 1-8 starts with. This morning, we're going to dive in on the very next part of Acts 1-8, where um, Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to be witnesses eventually to the ends of the earth. And so, um, like I said, Acts 1-8, let's read it. I'll pray for us, and then we'll move on from there. But Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can spend some time this morning hopefully hearing from you through your word. God, thank you that we've had an opportunity to gather together as your children and this body of faith to worship you and God as we continue to do that by hearing your word proclaimed by taking communion and, and everything else that's going to happen this morning. God we pray that you would move in our midst as all of this is going on to draw us close to you. God we thank you that you promise us in your word that when we're gathered together in your name that you are present. So God thank you for that. We pray or I pray very specifically this morning as I spend the next few minutes speaking from this stage, that you would use me simply as an instrument of your grace and mercy and love, an instrument of the gospel. God, that Jesus would be raised high and everything else would be diminished. God, I understand fully that my words are of little significance, but your words, the gospel has inherent power to transform our lives. So God, let's hear that this morning. Pray that you would change us, renew us, because we've been in your presence. And Holy Father, we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So like I said, we're going to start with this one particular statement where Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses. When we think about being witnesses, what is it that we think about, right? If you've been in church for any length of time and somebody starts talking about witnessing, 
what do you think about? You think about going up to somebody and explaining to them a method or an understanding of how they can come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, right? You with me? Everybody been down that road, learned some method to do that? I've been involved in church ministry and seminary and Bible college for almost 18 years now. It makes me feel old to even say that. I'm 36, and I started when I was 18 in Bible college. And over the last 18 years, I have learned no less than a dozen ways to quote-unquote share the gospel, to witness to someone. When I was in seminary, when I was in Bible college, my first year of Bible college, we learned this method called the one-verse method. Archie, you're out there. You learned this at CIU. Anybody know the one-verse method? You take a piece of paper and you draw a cliff on one side of the paper. You draw a cliff on the other side of the paper. You talk about how you're on one side and how God is on the other side. You eventually draw a cross as the bridge to get across to God. It's a pretty cool little method, a pretty cool way of sharing the gospel. It's based on Romans 6, 23. And I actually had the opportunity when I was young to lead someone to Christ through that explanation of how one comes to be saved. Um, during my same time at CIU, went on the mission trip to the Bahamas. And it sounds like a mission trip, right, when you go to the Bahamas, but it was awesome. Um, but no, really, we went to the Bahamas and we were working in this little fishing village doing vacation Bible school with these little Bahamian kids. And um, just so you know, Bahamian kids are not white, right? And there's this thing called the color book. Is everybody familiar with the color book? Anybody out there familiar with the color book? It's a way of sharing your faith where you start with a black page and you say, because of sin in your life, your heart is black. And then you flip it over and the next page is red and you talk about how the blood of Jesus um, is able to cover your sin and it turns you white, which is, makes you clean, right? So we're down here in this VBS and this guy that I'm with is talking to these little Bahamian kids and he says to them, and it was humorous and it was awkward, and he realized his mistake and did his best to correct it, but he said to him, right now you're black, but because of Jesus, you can turn white. <laughs> and it was, it, if you could have just seen their faces and seen the faces of everybody there, it was quite awkward. And um, that's not what the gospel is about at all. But anyway, it's humorous, right? It's awkward. When I was in seminary, I had to take a whole class on how to share my faith. And um, when I was in seminary, I was working as a youth pastor at another small church here in town. And at the time, the denomination that I was a part of had this method of sharing the gospel called faith. Has anybody heard of it? And anybody out there? Anybody? You would hold up your hand and you would talk about F-A-I-T-H, right? And you talk about how F stands for forgiveness. And A is the fact that uh, forgiveness is available, and you would go on, and you'd use your hand, and you'd ask key probing questions at different points during the presentation, and I had done this for years, and I got to seminary, and I had to pay money to sit in a class for a professor to teach me how to do this. It, it frustrated me to no end, but nonetheless, when we think about witnessing, that's what we think about, right? We think about a way of sharing our faith, and for years, Churches and parachurch organizations have come up with these canned little methods of how we can tell people how to be saved. And there's, there's really nothing wrong with that. It's, it's a tool. It's a tool to help us help people understand what the gospel is all about. The problem is, if we think that that, F-A-I-T-H, or the color book, or 
whatever it is, the Romans road or, or, or whatever you use, the four spiritual laws, whatever it is that you use to tell someone about how to become a believer, if we think that's what witnessing is about, well, we're falling far short of what it really is. And so this morning, what I want to do is kind of broaden our understanding of what it means to be a witness. And I want to do that diving off from Acts 1.8. And we're going to go a couple of different places in Scripture. And we're going to go fast, and we're going to talk about a lot. And um, that's okay. Stick with me. But here's my contention this morning, though. It's that if every believer understood what it meant to be a witness, number one, and they took that commission seriously... And they understood that they lived lives empowered by the Holy Spirit, like Ben talked about last week. Then we would take more opportunities, the more opportunities that are presented to us, to be a witness. And all these canned methods and all these evangelism, evangelistic tactics and all these other things would really become unnecessary because we as believers would be living lives as missionaries on mission for the gospel everywhere we go. And so that's kind of, like I said, what I want to do this morning, just kind of help us understand a little more about what it means to be a witness. And so we're going to break it down this way. We're going to talk about what it means to be a witness. We're going to talk about why we should witness. And then we're going to talk about some practical ways to get started going down that road. Everybody good? Anybody mad at me so far? No? We all good? All right. So let's start with what it means to be a witness. And essentially, like I said, what it comes down to is something a little different than just a method of sharing the gospel with someone, sharing how someone can be saved. And when we look at the first chapter of Acts, and we look at Jesus' commission to his disciples here, we see that the disciples' calling, concern, and mission are not to be focused on their own little kingdom, their own little idols like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, their own preconceived notions of what Jesus came to earth to do, but rather Jesus refocuses them and says, you're going to be my witnesses. Your mission is to be my witnesses to go and make disciples. And so this idea of being a witness it wouldn't have been unfamiliar to them when, the, when, when Jesus used this word. The word that's recorded in Acts is actually um, a word that in modern English has come to be the word we use for martyr, somebody that has died for their faith. That's the root word that Jesus uses here. But when Jesus told his disciples that they were to be witnesses, they would have had some understanding from Old Testament Jewish law as to what a witness was, right? If you go back and you read through Levitical law and Mosaic law and all these other things, this concept of witness exists. It exists in a variety of ways, and it even exists in a legal sense. And Jesus referenced that. Matthew chapter 18, this should be a familiar passage to you. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence (coughs) of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so in a legal sense, a witness is one who helps establish facts objectively based on observation and experience. And so the disciples' relationship and experience with Jesus qualified them as a witness, just like it qualifies you as a witness if you're a follower of Jesus Christ because you have a relationship with him, you have experience with him, and you're part of a body that has a relationship with Christ. 
And so the disciples' relationship and experience with Jesus qualify them as witnesses, just like it qualifies us. But Jesus promises them that it's the Holy Spirit that will empower them and make them be capable as it relates to witnessing, right? So let's talk a little bit more about what it means to be a witness, and I want to give you a biblical example. John chapter 9, go ahead and flip over there. It's real simple. We take this witnessing thing and we make it a little more difficult than it has to be. Flip over to John chapter 9, and we're going to look starting at verse um, 24. But let me tell you the background of the story here. There's this man in John chapter 9 who is born blind. So he's been blind since birth. He's never been able to see. Jesus encounters him, and Jesus heals him. And because Jesus heals him on the Sabbath, <gasps> no, no, right? Because Jesus heals him on the Sabbath, the religious leaders get really upset at Jesus. And so they start arguing and having this whole big confrontation over what Jesus did. And so they call this guy in who is born blind and who has been healed. They call him in. They talk to him. They talk to his family. They eventually call the guy back in again to ask him more questions about what Jesus did. And that's where we pick up in John chapter 9, verse 24. It says, so for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? That was a little shot. That was a little jab right in the ribs. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we, we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. All right, so what it means to be a witness, it's right there in the passage. It's so straightforward. It's so easy. It's this. I was blind, now I see. What did Jesus do for you? Well, I was blind and now I see. But yeah, what did Jesus do for you? I was blind and now I see. Right? That's a witness for Jesus right there. A witness for Jesus is saying, this is what Jesus has done. Being a witness isn't necessarily learning some formulaic method of sharing the gospel and then reciting it every time we think we have a chance in order to get somebody to say a prayer. Even though those formulaic ways of sharing our faith, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's bigger than that, though. It's saying to our friends and neighbors and coworkers and family members and whoever else, I don't know about you, but this is who Jesus is. And this is what Jesus has done for me. It's that simple. It's, let me give you an example. I just wrote up some, some, um, some ways that we could do that. I, and I don't know if this hits where you are or not. But, for instance, we're in a situation. 
And we say, I used to struggle with tremendous guilt because I knew all my sin weighed me down and I was constantly doing stupid stuff and I couldn't get away from it and I just felt burdened unbelievably by my sin. And then I met Jesus and he set me free from my guilt and sin and darkness by the power of the gospel. And Jesus, well, he changed me. I was a sinner enslaved to sin, but Jesus, he set me free. Or we could go with this if this illustrates you on Father's Day. I used to be a terrible father. I didn't spend time with my kids. I didn't teach them about Jesus. I didn't pray with them. I yelled a lot. I was impatient. I was distant. I checked out as soon as I got home. But Jesus, now Jesus, through the power of the gospel at work in my life, he changed me. He helped me to understand the importance of loving my kids like God loves me. I don't know about you, but Jesus changed me. I was blind, but now I see. Maybe that illustrates some of your own fathers. I don't know. Or this. Well, I used to worship whatever other thing it is that God gave me. I worshiped my talent. I worship my music, I worship my art, I worship my education, my ability to learn, to look smart, the money that God gave me. I worship golf, I worship basketball, football, I worship pleasure, my boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. I used to worship those things. But then through the power of the gospel, Jesus showed me how these things were just empty, worthless idols and how I'd never find fulfillment in them, in them. and how what I really needed was fulfillment in Jesus I don't know about you, but Jesus really changed me. I was blind, but now I see by the power of the gospel. It's that simple. Hear me, church. Listen to me. We take this witnessing thing and the command that Jesus gives us in Acts 1.8, and we make it much more difficult than it has to be. We let it scare us. We let it put us in situations where we're deathly afraid to even talk about Jesus because it's awkward, because we're scared, because we feel like we're confronting someone and getting in their space, because we're afraid of what they're going to say back to us. You believe that? You're crazy. And in some sense, they're right. But we're crazy for Jesus because of Jesus. So you may be sitting there thinking, that's exactly right. I don't want to do that. Are you telling me that you want me to walk across the street and tell my neighbor about Jesus? Because I ain't going to do it. Are you telling me when the conversation comes up at work, you want me to talk about how Jesus changed me from being a sinner to being saved? You want me to talk about how Jesus saved me from being blind to the point where now I see? You want me to do that? It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. I ain't going to do it. And I would say to you, all right, well, if you want to feel that way, I'm not the one that can change your mind. Only God can do that. But what you have to do, what you must do, what I want for you and for me is for us to take God's words in Acts 1.8 seriously. Because it's God's word. And either it's true or it's not. Either it's the way God wants us to live or it's not. We don't get to pick which one. It either is or it isn't. If you're in this room this morning, I hope it's that you believe this is God's word, and so that what God's word is telling us is something that's important. And so in Acts 1.8, when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, what Jesus says is both prophecy and command. It's prophecy because God has ordained his disciples 
the folks present and his followers, us, to be his witnesses. And it's command because Jesus was telling his followers, his disciples, what they had to do. See, here's the deal. The great commission that we talked about several weeks ago, Jesus' commission in Acts 1.8, to be witnesses, is something every generation of Christians must and should take seriously. It's not good advice. It's a command. The early church certainly took it seriously. And in some ways, many people died for their faith because they took it so seriously. Tertullian was an early church father, and around the year 200, he was writing, and he wrote this. We are but of yesterday, and we have filled filled every place among you. Cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. I took it seriously. Because the early church took this seriously, because the Holy Spirit empowered them to be witnesses for Jesus as Jesus told them that they would be, they took the gospel to the farthest reaches of the world, and so should we. Because the Holy Spirit has empowered his followers for mission, we should take Jesus' commission here very seriously. You and I must make no mistake that the gospel should and needs to flow far and wide. You and I must not be shy about telling others who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and what he can do for them. I'm not telling you you have to learn some method to do it. I'm telling you we need to be a part of God's people, the people that God has commissioned to tell others around us who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, and what he can do for them. We must not think this is unimportant. In fact, the good news of Jesus is the most important thing anyone can ever hear. There's nothing more important you could ever tell anyone than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't exist. We can argue about it afterwards if you want. There's nothing else more important than the gospel of Jesus. So hopefully we've established both the importance of what it means to be a witness and the fact that being a witness is simply telling others who Jesus is, what he's done for us, what he can do for them. Everybody with me? Anybody mad yet? Okay. Um, I can take it if you get mad. So point number two about being a witness is this. Being a witness is about making much of Jesus and little of us. Sometimes preachers from stages get this messed up. And sometimes people, when we're talking to others about Jesus, get this messed up. It's not about us. It's about making much of Jesus. Look at John chapter 3, verse 30. It'll be up here on the screen. It's a very simple little verse. John the Baptist and his disciples are having a conversation about Jesus. And John makes a simple statement. He must increase but I must decrease. You see, John got it. John was biblically the forerunner to Jesus. He was the voice in the wilderness saying the kingdom of God is at hand in Jesus. And John preached and baptized 
And eventually he was beheaded because of that witness. He was not shy about it. He was bold. And through it all, he pointed people to Jesus and he made much of Jesus. In the act of witnessing, there is no place for us to make much of ourselves. If God has done anything for us, and when we speak to others about how Jesus has changed us, make no mistake about it, Jesus is the hero of the story, not us. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter how bad or how good we are, were, because we need to be saved from both of, the, both of those things, our goodness and our sin. Doesn't matter how bad or good we were. Doesn't matter how bad or good we are. There's no place to make much of us. We speak of what Jesus has done for us. We do it to make much of Jesus because Jesus is the hero of our stories. We're the ones that were rescued. We're the ones that couldn't rescue ourselves. We needed someone to come in and rescue us. Just last night, I watched a movie called Act of Valor. Anybody seen it? It's a great movie about the Navy SEALs. But in that movie, it's a perfect picture. They have to go in and rescue somebody who couldn't rescue themselves. It's what Jesus did for you. And so when we tell others about what Jesus has done for us, we're making much of the hero who is Jesus, not us. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You get it? Being a witness is telling people what Jesus has done for us, who Jesus is, what he's done for us, what he can do for them. And it's making much of Jesus in the process that he may increase, that we may decrease. Straightforward. Moving on from there, let me remind you of something. As God has called us to be his witnesses and to tell others who he is, what he's done for us, what he can do for them, we make much of Jesus in that process. We need to remember that this is done both individually and it's done in community. It was never intended for me to go out and be a lone witness for Jesus out there somewhere without being a part of God's body. It doesn't work that way. Jesus created the church to accomplish his mission and to be witnesses for him. He didn't send us out individually. So don't think that you can go out and do this on your own. It is a necessity that you be a part of a body of faith because you have an individual role to play in being a witness. You have a corporate role to play in being a witness. Listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Understand what Jesus is doing here, please. 
Jesus is praying that the people who come to know him because of the work of the disciples, do you know who those people are? That's us in this room who are followers of Jesus Christ because the disciples took the gospel to the ends of the earth. He's praying for our unity together as his followers to be his witnesses to the world. There's an individual role you play. There's a corporate role you play. When I tell you that God has called you to be a witness, to tell others who he is, what he's done for you, what he can do for them, to make much of Jesus in the process, it's within the context of community just as much as it is an individual thing. We each have a role to play. But that role just isn't an individual role. It's as a member of God's church, unified on mission for the gospel. All right, so what being a witness is. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. The early church took it seriously, and so should we. So being a witness involves telling others about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, what he can do for them, making much of Jesus in the process, recognizing our individual and corporate responsibilities, how that relates to his commission. But why should we do it? That's what being a witness is. Why should I be a witness? Well, I touched on it already, but Jesus' words in Acts 1.8, Jesus' words in Matthew 28, Jesus' words in the Gospels, they're a command, right? It's not a choice. It's a command. If we're going to be obedient to what Jesus has called us to do, we're going to have to witness. Bottom line. It might be uncomfortable. It might make for awkward moments. We may not like it, but it doesn't matter. It's Jesus' command to us to be his witnesses. If we're going to be fully obedient to what Jesus has called you and I to do as his followers, then we must be witnesses. Bottom line. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. It's the Bible talking, not me. Secondly, why do I need to be a witness? Well, here's some truth for you. People are the means by which the witness about Jesus spreads. Jesus certainly doesn't need us to be his witnesses. And yet in Acts 1.8, that's exactly what he says to his followers. You, you people, you people, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Romans 10, 14 through 17 put it this way. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? <coughs> and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Why should we be witnesses? Because God ordained that we be his witnesses. People are primarily the means by which God brings other people to salvation. It doesn't happen that way every time. There are certainly stories of people picking up a Bible and reading it and coming to know Jesus that way. On the mission field today, especially in the Muslim world, there are stories, there are stories all over the place of God speaking to individuals in dreams and explaining to them who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. It still happens that way miraculously at times. But the primary means that God 
has given us to take the gospel, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, is through people. There's always a person. Not always. But that's the primary means. If you look at Acts chapter 2, God does something miraculous. He enables the followers, his followers, his disciples, to speak in languages that they don't know so that other people might come to Christ. It's miraculous, but God uses people to do it. It's primarily how God works. Not always, but that's the way that God ordained it. It's why the church exists, to make disciples of all the nations, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus even tells his followers to pray to God to send out laborers into the harvest. John Piper puts it this way, we serve a saving and sending God. He provides the foundation of our salvation in Jesus Christ, and he provides the means of our salvation in those whom he sends. Let this have an enlivening effect on you. God is at work now, today, moving his witnesses through the world, making them the means of his saving work. I hope this makes you want to look Jesus square in the face and say with Isaiah, here am I, send me. So why do we witness? Because God told us to. Why do we witness? Because it's God's primary means of getting the gospel of salvation out. And finally, I mentioned it already, but our witness is the most important thing the world will ever hear. Any other thing is rubbish when compared to the gospel. Any other religious system is based on works and it's devoid of the power of the gospel. Anything else that seeks to take the place of Jesus in our life is an idol that will never satisfy. Fathers, on this Father's Day, it's important for us to be reminded of the fact that there is no greater gift we can give our children than the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here's the deal. Until we recognize the importance of our message, we'll never value the necessity of our witness. I'll say that again. Until we recognize the importance of our message, we'll never value the necessity of our witness. There's no greater thing that we steward than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not our money. It's not anything cool that we do. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is quite literally life-altering. All right, so we've talked about what it means to be a witness, to talk about who Jesus is, what he's done for us, what he can do for people, to make much of Jesus in the process, to play a corporate and an individual role in that. We've talked of why we should witness, because Jesus tells us to, um, because it's the means by which the gospel goes forth, and because what we steward is the greatest news that anyone will ever hear. And so with that in mind, let's just put some practical steps to what it means to be a witness. And these are easy, and this is going to be quick, and I'm going to be done. But take them seriously. First, like we're doing this morning, let me encourage you to continue to gather together as a body of faith on Sunday mornings in missional communities that happen during the week. And by the way, if you're interested, you can see the connections table afterwards and find out more about missional communities. But continue to gather together as a body of faith on Sunday mornings, missional communities, DNA groups as friends. And in the process, encourage one another to live lives on mission for the gospel and pray together and pray for one another. And as you meet and as you hang out, invite people into your homes who may not know Jesus. Invite them into your homes and to cookouts and whatever else it is that you do. Just involve yourself in the lives of others individually, apart from our corporate gatherings, whatever they may be. 
and as a part of our corporate gatherings. Here's some truth for you. The Bible teaches us that God inhabits the praises of his people. When non-believers come into the presence of God, it has the potential to be life-changing. So invite people in. Second, make a list of people who haven't been changed by the power of the gospel that you know from your work, your neighborhood, your families, your friends, whatever it may be, and simply pray for them. And you may be the answer to your prayer that you might be the one who gets to tell them who Jesus is, what he's done for you, and what he can do for them. You may not. When Jeremy and I started the well years and years ago, we were both working at different churches here in Augusta as youth pastors. And for about a year before we started the well, we would get together in my office at this little church where I worked, and we would simply pray. And... Um, we would pray together for what God was going to do and what God would have us do. And during that time, we made a list of people that we wanted to pray for, that they would come to know Jesus, regardless of what happened with the church that we wanted to plant. But as a part of our praying together, we made a list of people that we wanted to see change, that we hoped God would change because of the power of Jesus Christ. Number one on Jeremy's list was a guy named Jason Barron. And uh, Jason sitting back there, at the soundboard this morning, and I asked for his permission to share this. Um, Jason became a believer after that time, and it wasn't necessarily because of the work of Jeremy in his life, but Jason was prayed for for a long time, and he eventually became a believer. Pray for those people that you write down on your list. Take it seriously. You may be the answer to your own prayer. You may not, but pray for people anyway. There's nothing more important than the gospel at work in their lives. Thirdly, as you live lives together in community, as you pray for one another, as you pray for others, pay attention to opportunities the Holy Spirit brings your way to tell others about what Jesus has done for you. Remember that the commission that Jesus gave us here is preceded by the promise of empowerment by the Holy Spirit for ministry. And there may be times that the Holy Spirit specifically sends you to tell somebody about Jesus. It happened to Philip in Acts chapter 8. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but Philip gets sent out into the desert to tell one specific person about the gospel. It may happen that way, but more than likely, the Holy Spirit is going to empower you and give you opportunities as a part of your everyday life to make much of Jesus, to tell people who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for you, and what he can do for them. Make sure to be on the lookout for those opportunities. As you pray for people, you're going to begin to see those opportunities arise in ways that you've never seen before. And as those opportunities arise, make sure to steward those opportunities wisely so that folks may come to understand the greatest thing they may ever hear, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, you are good. God, you are awesome. God, it is unbelievable that you would have such love for us, that Jesus would die on a cross, that we might be forgiven, that we might be set free from the chains of Satan, sin, and death. God, that we might have a way to be made right with you. God, I'll never fully understand that. But God, thank you for it. Thank you for your son, Jesus, around whose name 
we gather this morning. And God, because of your great love for us, because of how you have acted on our behalf, God, I pray that you would empower us through the work of your Holy Spirit as you promised you would do in Acts 1-8 here. I pray that you would empower us to be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. God, I know that it's difficult in our own flesh. It's frightening. It's embarrassing. It's awkward at times, whatever it may be. But God, you've called us to do this. You set us aside as your means to be witnesses for you to the ends of the earth. And so God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make us bold to be your witnesses, that you would make us bold to speak of what Jesus has done for us. God, you are good, and we certainly don't deserve your grace. But God, we thank you that you extend it to us anyway. Holy Father, we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.